0: I was here last night, and hadn 't yet prepared anything. I had a couple of things knocking around my head that I thought I might go with, and then um, I was not feeling that those were right, and I was just walking around here late last night praying and saying, "God, what is you know what give me a, give me a, a word for now, give me something that is timely for just this this moment." Uh, that's not just a, a good message or some truth from the scriptures, but, but something that's actually pertinent for now. And very late last night, which is to explain shabby preparation and dodgy notes, um, I began to think about friendship, of all things, and community. Uh, I was down here, I was walking around, um, frustrated that I wasn't really getting anywhere. And just God started to stir my heart about this this issue of friendship. And I want to address that this morning and just put out some thoughts about spiritual friendship and the importance of it and the importance of spiritual community. So can you turn to John chapter 15, please? I almost feel apologetic for starting from John again. Um, but yeah, that's that's just the way it is. There are other books in my Bible. You can see the whole lot. They're all there. Um, but this is this is John chapter 15. I have not heard many sermons on friendship, uh, very few. Um, I've heard sermons maybe on fellowship and community, but to actually probe into the the idea of spiritual friendship is something that uh, I have not been exposed to very much. Let me read John 15, and I'm going to read from verse 12 to 15. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. There's verse 15 again. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. There's a there's a sharing of the heart that goes with friendship. There's Jesus sharing what he has heard and learned from his father that he then passes on to the disciples. COVID-19 has brought two words into our vocabulary that are probably, if uh, decades from now, somebody goes onto the internet and looks up the history of 2020, and if there's a, uh, a way they can look for the most commonly used words in 2020, they'll probably find these two words towards the top of the list. The words are distancing and isolation. Distancing, stay away from each other isolation be on your own. They are two horrible words, absolutely horrible. They are horrible in the context of any community. They are horrible in the context of advice being given to the human race. Of course, we understand that advice and we adhere to it, but they are horrible words, and they're particularly horrible words for the church, the community of faith, because they're a grievous attack on the very heart of of what it means to be followers of Jesus in community together, distancing and isolation. And as we see restrictions being relaxed, as Steph has already mentioned, and we see once again the opportunity to be together, albeit outdoors, I want to stress the importance of community and friendship. On Friday night, I sat with some dear friends, um, several of whom I've known for 15, 20 years, and we sat around a fire, I laughed until my face was sore. We prayed together at the end, uh, praying about just as as the as the embers of the fire were were fading. We just thanked God for each other. We thanked God for an evening that we could actually be around each other. And I I sat there. It just it was a it was a sort of a rough day weather wise and. When evening came it all became still there was a beautiful calm in the air and about midnight or shortly after it I was sitting thinking if I could if I could bottle this right now if I could bottle how I feel um, how I have felt all evening among these people if I could bottle it and sell it I'd be a millionaire overnight because this is a this is an essential item. It could be right there on the supermarket shelf in between the loo roll and the hand sanitizer. You could have this bottled friendship, this experience of true spiritual friendship and Christian community. Jesus changed the world, and he did so by means of a group of friends that he shared his life with before sending them out into the world. Friendship today is considered pretty ordinary and unnecessary. It's not really studied. It's not overly encouraged. And it's frequently pushed out of modern life due to legitimate commitments such as family and work. We neglect friendship. We maybe see it as something we do when we are children, when we're teenagers. But as we move into adult life, we can push it to one side. Springsteen uh, sings a lot of songs about friendship, and in one of them, there's a song called "Blood Brothers," in, in which he sings about kids who who swear that as they grow up, they will always be blood brothers. But then later in the song, he writes, "We lose ourselves in work to do and bills to pay." Life comes in the busyness of the modern world, the rush, the hurry, uh, the tyranny of the of the urgent, and friendship can very quickly be pushed to one side. As other things are focused on when we hear about friendship or friends we think about TV shows Um, friends has had a bit of a resurgence in recent years particularly among teenagers and sort of early 20s I despise that television show and I would passionately urge you not to watch it because its relationship ethics are possibly the worst that are on television anywhere uh, but that 's a, that's a term you can 't hardly use the word "friends" without thinking of those six Egypts, um and their their relationship uh, well hard to de- hard to describe it, but not something to be copied. We see articles in Wikipedia about friendship. if you look it up, you can do it later uh, there 's a very strange article about friendship on, Vi- on Wikipedia. It ends up with a, a section about friendship between different species of animals and there's a photograph of a man with a squirrel that has the caption a man with a squirrel. Some people say their dog is their best friend. Dog is man's best friend. Well I would caution you about that one. You need to choose friends uh, that don't sleep for about 20 hours a day and lick their backsides for, for a bit of the other time. Friendship is something that we will hear about in our children's primary school reports, there'll be a little section somewhere probably about their their ability to form friendships, how they're getting on in, in friendship groups. But when we get to adulthood, it doesn't seem to raise much concern when we don't have many friends or if someone is largely friendless, does not have deep, meaningful relationships with other people, we tend to overlook that as if it's not a big deal. And I think it is a big deal, and I think it's something that the church should really be helping people to develop deep, intimate, trusting friendships. The church sometimes, though, can view friendship with suspicion. We champion that agape, unconditional love. We champion love for God and love for neighbor as we should, but we sometimes look at filial love, we sometimes look at the love of friendship, and we see it as almost a liability, we start to talk about cliques or, as people say in Northern Ireland, cliques. You know, we look at a group of friends and say, there's a clique. And they're like, no, it's not a clique. It's a group of friends. It's okay. Friendship can be slightly dangerous. It's risky. It's a relationship to which we give ourselves and we trust people. We give our hearts to people. And that can go really, really well, or we can find that our hearts can be stretched or even broken as a result of friendships. It's amazing that so little attention is given to friendship, given that whenever it goes astray, it can cause incredible pain. Possibly the pain of broken friendships where people have given their hearts and their trust to one another can be every bit as bad as the the pain of broken family relationships yet we don't give it much attention. Despite the pain, we sort of subconsciously are saying that friendship is not that important because we're not there to support people when it is broken. Likewise, children can suffer tremendous emotional trauma at a young age whenever friendships are strained, yet there are probably not very many support mechanisms in place to deal with broken friendships. Social networks have come on the scene in the last couple of decades or so and they have provided a lot that is useful, but they have negatively changed our view of friendship. And overuse of these things means our brain chemistry is changing, our ability to actually focus and give attention to one other human being for a meaningful relationship is diminishing. And one writer called Susan Phillips says that friendship in general is neglected it's viewed as unnecessary, private, maybe even dangerous, and it is losing social and spiritual value in a culture shaped by social networks and the demands of work. So I wonder in the church have we overlooked friendship? A guy called Robert Bella said friendship is the most important and least examined area of human life. Friendship is the most important and least examined area. Of human life, and the word friendship actually comes from three old English words for free, love, and shape. Friendship is giving love freely in a way that shapes us and shapes those who we are sharing that love with. One of one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the the last hundred years or so, I think, is a guy called Dallas Willard. He has a book on the spiritual disciplines called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And at the start of that book, he writes, my central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life that he chose for himself. If we want to become like Jesus, we need to look closely at his life and imitate that life. And Jesus chose to live Among friends. Jesus built deep, intimate relationships with those people as he journeyed with them. And we maybe need to raise the importance of community and friendship in the church. God himself is community. If you read the first few verses of the book of Genesis, you will read in in verse 1 about God the Father himself, you will read about God the Spirit. In verse 2, the Spirit that's hovering over the waters. And you'll read about the Word in verse 3, which John then connects with Jesus. You've got the Trinity in the first three verses of the Bible. God himself is community. He is not isolated. He's not distanced, and he's not alone. He is in community, the Trinity itself. And then God makes man in his image. And if if God himself is a community, then man, if we're going to reflect the image of God, we should be living in community and relationship and friendship. We're never complete in isolation. We are never complete in isolation. That's why this, this virus is such a wicked, hateful thing because it is driving and has driven people into isolation. And I think the reason why this is on my heart today is because the doors have opened and the, the sun is shining a little bit and we have a window of opportunity. And I think there's an urgency to say to, to people and particularly to the church, get out of isolation and be together, and work in friendship. The first thing in the Bible that is not good is loneliness. God creates the the world. We read about the six days of, of creation, and every day God says, it's good, it's good. Every day except Monday, I think. I'm pretty sure he didn't say it was good on Monday, but every day, every time he makes something, he says, it's good, it's good. And the first thing you read of in the Bible that's not good is in Genesis two eighteen, where God says it is not good for the man to be alone. Don't just restrict that to, to marriage. Don't just restrict that to, to limited relationships. In general, loneliness and isolation are not good things. We have had those things forced on us in recent months. Church, you have done well in light of that. But now that those things are are being relaxed a little bit, we need to move and move fast to build and strengthen relationship and friendship. Whenever God looked in the garden for a, a helper for Adam, a partner for him, he could find nothing among the animals that would do. Even the squirrel from Wikipedia was not good enough to go with Adam and to be his partner. He had to use something different. He had to use a different raw material to make Eve. And as Adam sleeps, he takes a a, a rib from Adam and he makes Eve. And when Adam wakes up, he will never again be complete on his own. Never. Again, I don't want you to... I think that's important for marriage, but I don't want to restrict it to marriage. I want to look at the, the principle that man, woman, human beings cannot be complete on their own. They must be in community. Whenever you're depressed, where do you want to be? Usually the instinct is to withdraw. The instinct is to be on your own. The instinct is to go away and turn things over in your mind over and over again. And that usually is not a good thing to do. But whenever you get into community, you will find very quickly that that community and that spiritual friendship can lift you. A lot of men in particular like to sort of build a life that comes across as invincible. I don't need anybody else. You know, I am, I am my own man and I can control everything and I'm in charge of everything and I don't need anyone. But then further down the line, life can get difficult and all of a sudden a man can look around him and see that there's, there's nobody there because he has not given attention to friendships. And as God created man in his image and created man to be in community, he then wanted that community to be centered around him. There's a lovely picture in Numbers chapter 2. Go to Numbers chapter 2 just to give you something to do and prove that there are other books in my Bible other than John. Numbers chapter 2. It's one of those things you can miss very easily because it's, it's sort of buried in a whole lot of numbers, believe it or not, and descriptions of tribes and tents and camps and all sorts of things. But at the start of Numbers 2, what you've got is in verse 2, God says, "...the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting, some distance from it, each man under his standard with the banners of his family." And then it goes on to describe the, the, the tribes and the people that were on the east of the, the tent of meeting, and those who were on the south, and those who were on the west, and those who were on the north. And if you sort of step back from the details and the individual names and numbers, what you get is this beautiful picture of God in the center of his people, and his people are all arranged around him. They're all in community with one another, focused in on God. And I believe it's a picture of a yearning that he has placed within our hearts, not only to know him, but to know him in community with other people, to have deep, lasting relationships and friendships that, are, that focus us in on God. In Galatians 5, which I read last week, and I'll not linger on for long, but we, we read about the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot exercise or bear or show forth the fruit of the Spirit on your own. You can't go and live in a cave and display the fruit of the Spirit. You need other people. I cannot display the fruit of love if I don't have somebody to show that love to. I can't show forth the fruit of long suffering if I'm not in community with people that that maybe. Mm, maybe are a little bit difficult, but we're called to love and we're called to suffer long and we're called to get around our differences and focus and unite ourselves around Jesus. You can't display the fruit of the Spirit on your own. You've got to be in community. And if, if you go to Genesis 3, just to look at what happened whenever Satan came along into that garden where you had God's beautiful creation you had humanity, male and female, made in the image of God, in community. At the end of, of chapter 2, you read, it seems like it's you know, one of those verses that's a bit, bit weird and a bit random in there. And, and it's quite funny when it's read at weddings. And you know, some guy who, who reads it, and he maybe hasn't read it in advance of reading it at the wedding, and he gets to that verse and, and blushes a little bit. It says, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And to take that and and put it symbolically, in this human relationship, there was no hiding. There was no covering. There was no pretending to be something that you weren't. There was a sense of not just physical, but, but complete spiritual, emotional. You were exposed to one another, and you were not ashamed of who you were, naked and unashamed. That, that's the way human relationships were designed by God. But whenever the, the devil comes along in chapter 3, we read about what is actually the first meal in the Bible. The first time any food is eaten is, is whenever Satan comes and, and says to the woman to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she eats it, and she gives some to Adam, and he eats it. And it says in chapter 3, verse 7 the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And that's the effect of the fall and the effect of sin in our human relationships. We cover ourselves, we make fig leaf masks. We pretend that we're something we're not. We are suddenly ashamed of who we really are. We are vulnerable and we are scared of pain and of hurt that can come in relationships. And so we cover ourselves and we hide. This is the effect of sin and the fall on human relationships. I want you to hold that verse 7 because I'll come back to it later. The fact that once they had eaten of the meal, their eyes were opened And they realized something that they had not been aware of before. In this case, they realized their their nakedness, they became ashamed, they covered themselves, and relationships became strained. The fall brought division into human relationships. It brought blame. People hiding from one another, scared to bear themselves, to bear their souls to one another for fear of what the other person might think of them. Jesus said, I have called you friends. I haven't called you servants. I have called you friends. He says in, in John 15, I've called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Friendship, that, that decision to share yourself with the other. Jesus says, you're not just servants. You're not, I'm not just giving you some commands for you to go and do this and do that and do the other thing. He says, we are friends. And part of, of being friends is I'm sharing with you what I know. Part of friendship is, is telling each other's stories and listening to each other's stories. In this rushed world, we need to learn the value of making time to listen to each other's stories to allow each other to share our hearts and our lives, to share with each other what God has been doing in us and speaking to us. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, there's a summary of the early church and and what they got up to, what their priorities were, what they devoted themselves to. It says that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And you read about just the, the community of faith that was developing. How people looked after each other. How they spent time with each other. When, when it says there in verse 42 that they were committed to breaking of bread. It didn't mean they took a wee fragment of bread on a Sunday morning. It means they ate meals together. Breaking bread does not just mean communion. It means, it means sharing a meal together. These people ate in each other's homes. If they were living in 2020, it, would, it might not say they ate in each other's homes, but it would say they sat in each other's gardens. They sat around the fire pit. They got together any opportunity they could get. And whenever they focused on community and friendship, whenever they focused on, on being together, on loving each other, God then, at the end of the chapter, it says that the Lord added to the number daily. I believe that when we get friendship and community right, God will bring increase. Whereas if we just focus on the increase, if we just focus on getting numbers and getting more and more people, then we find that we don't have the foundation of community and friendship, and it can all very quickly get fractured. Whereas God, I believe, has people and will have people as this pandemic runs its course, there will be people who will really need community. They will need friendship. They will need love. They will need people who they can trust, where they can come in and just be in a safe place where nothing is expected of them, but they can come in and be part of a community that are centered around God. They can come and tell their stories They can come and listen to the stories of other people. God will be looking for churches, Christian communities, back garden churches where he can bring people into who need community and who need friendship. And that's why I believe that now and in the months ahead, This should be one of our highest priorities, developing that sense of deep community and friendship. If we get the community right, God will do the maths. He will do the adding. He will do the multiplying. When he sees a safe place that he can bring fragile, vulnerable people into, he will bring them in. Another thing about Christian community and friendship is is in, in Proverbs 27, verse 6, I'm sorry that I'm sort of jumping around a bit. I'd love to have polished this for, a, for another week or so, but it wasn't to be. Proverbs 27, I think, and verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In the sort of friendship that I'm talking about here, that I'm encouraging you, begging you to to prioritize and to work on, a wound can be trusted because you're in a safe place. When you're assured of love and you're assured of friendship and you're in a safe, secure relationship, a wound does not destroy that. A wound can almost be welcomed. You're not, you don't react against someone if they call you out for something in your life that they've seen that is inconsistent or, is, or that is not Christ-like. You don't react and snap back against it because you know the relationship is a safe place. And the person who is speaking to you has your best interests at heart. And the person who's speaking to you is, is effectively living in a tent beside you that is facing towards the presence of God and is trying to keep you directed towards that. I frequently say to people that I, I can give myself to someone if I know they love Jesus and I know they love me. If I'm unsure about either of those things, I will be a closed book but if I know that someone loves Jesus and I know that they love me and I'm safe, I'm happy to bear my heart. And those are relationships that we need to focus on. Satan hates that. He hates covenant love. He hates loyalty. He's the most disloyal creature in the universe. He hates loyalty. He hates trust and constantly tries to break up that trust. If God has created man in his image to be a community, you better believe that, that Satan is going to continually attack community. He's going to attack relationship. He's going to try and separate people from each other because that's what God has called them to be, and he therefore will attack that. I remember speaking to a, a Christian leader one time, and I couldn't believe the advice he gave me. Um, I, we were early in the church planting journey, and uh, he was he was chatting to me, and he said to me, here, you know, my advice for you is this, don't trust anyone. i sort of fell off the chair. How, how can you build a community of friendship, a community of love if people don't trust one another? How can you have a place where someone can take off the fig leaf mask and share their heart and bear their soul if they don't trust a person? Trust, quite the opposite. Trust is something we need to nourish and develop and protect in the community of faith. Another thing, that beautiful thing that happens in, in Christian friendship is that it is it can be so strengthened when we are on mission together. People who were already friends or maybe people who did not even know each other, but when they come together and they're on mission together in the kingdom of God, there can be such a deepening of friendship as they pray for one another, as they watch each other's backs, as they encourage one another when the journey is difficult. And it's something that inspires us in stories and in movies as well. Think of something just as, as, as common as an example as, as Lord of the Rings, where you have this, this fellowship of hobbits and elves and dwarves and magician and various other people. And they all have to work together to achieve their common goal, which is, which is a, a, a dangerous, dangerous mission. And as they work together, deep, deep community and friendship is developed. And it's the same in the church as we go on mission in the kingdom of God. If we are in friendship on mission, I believe that mission will be more successful, more enjoyable, easier, safer if it's just a matter of bringing a few people together and saying, you do that, you do that, you do that, and we'll get the mission done, that I don't believe is God's best for us. Jesus said, I will call you, I have called you friends. Friends. And as friends' mission together. It is a beautiful thing. So is the church known for friendship? If, If we were to ask people, just go out on the street and do a bit of a a bit of a pole on the street, just attack people with clipboards and ask them, you know, where is the place that first springs to your mind when, when I say the word friendship? Would they say church? Um, fortunately, I don't know if they would. But Jesus said, And new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I have called you friends. I've shared my life with you. For three years, I have washed your feet. I'm about to lay down my life. I have put up with the, the times that you've got things wrong in your enthusiasm. I've put up with the times that you've had a lack of faith. This is Jesus speaking to the, to the disciples. Judas has gone at this point, but he even washed Judas's stinking feet. And he says to them, As I have loved you, you must love one another. I have called you friends. Follow my example in how you treat each other. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Christian friendship, I think, should be deeper than any other friendship on earth because we have a higher view of what it means to be made in the image of God. We should have a higher view of other human beings than people who do not know God or love God. Sometimes we we gather a bit of a crowd into a building and we call it a community, and it is not a community. It is not a community. Planting a church is one thing. Forging a community of friendship, family, Christian love, that is a more difficult and demanding thing altogether. And maybe sometimes in our, in our rush to, to plant more and more churches, we should slow down a little bit and focus on those core healthy relationships that will allow a church to flourish and to last long-term through the different storms that it may face. I'm really excited about the recent growth in church planting in recent years and decades. But I'm also concerned that many people want to draw a crowd rather than build a family. It's easy to draw a crowd. It's easy to pull a few strings and and, and spend a bit of money and put a few things in place and draw a crowd. That's, That's not actually that difficult. And usually when the crowd is drawn, the crowd is drawn at the expense of other churches. It's not a good thing. It's much more difficult to build a community. But if you know these relationships, you will know what I'm talking about and how sweet they are. Those places where you are safe, those places where you come away filled up, those places where um, you know if, if, if something has to be said to you that is challenging, you don't take it as an attack. You don't take it as a personal affront. You know that it's a wound from a friend and it can be trusted. It's a beautiful thing. I sometimes wonder, is there any other structure on earth that, that can be so designed to prevent community as the way we sometimes do church? We have designed the most uncomfortable seats in the history of the world, made of wood uh, at a 90 degree angle and still you can fall asleep on them. But we, put the, we bolt them to the floor, all pointing in the same direction. and We go in for an hour and then we go out we say that we're a community. I challenge that. I don't believe we are. <clears throat> I don't believe we are forging those deep spiritual friendships that God wants us to forge. One of the greatest illustrations of spiritual friendship that I want to leave you with as, we, as we're nearly done is, is this one. Um, if I can get this, that, that there's not a, a glare of lights on it. Uh, That is a painting by a friend of mine called Scott Brennan, who is a church leader just outside Edinburgh um, and a general good spud and a tremendous artist. Um, And that is his painting of The Road to Mass, where you've got two friends who are walking, journeying along the road together, And as they journey along the road and talk about life and talk about what they have experienced and what they have encountered, Jesus is the third friend who shows up and joins them. Ecclesiastes talks about about a friendship. Again, this is something we sometimes just put into marriage and put into sermons at weddings, but talks about a, a threefold cord not being quickly broken. I think this is a beautiful illustration of that. Two friends, two disciples walking on the road And as they share their hearts with one another about about what's going on, another one shows up, the third strand in the cord that that holds the whole thing together. The road to Emmaus is a picture of spiritual friendship. Jesus comes along and, and they share with him. They invite him into their conversation. They're not just going along the road having witty banter and then Jesus shows up and they suddenly have to put on their religious hats. As they go along and Jesus comes along with them, they draw him into their conversation. They share what's on their hearts. You can read about it at the end of Luke's Gospel. Maybe just go there to to chapter 24 as we finish. As these two, they might have been a husband and wife. They might have been two friends. We're, We're not sure But as they go along the road, Jesus shows up and as they reflect on it afterwards, they say our hearts were burning within us as he shared the scriptures with us on the road. That's spiritual friendship that that, that pulls in Jesus. I love those moments when you're with a group of friends and yes, there's been some crack and there's been some silliness, but just as the evening goes on, conversation turns to Jesus turns to God's word we we then pray for one another it's a it's a beautiful thing when Jesus is drawn in and pulled in and welcomed into friendship and we go away from our time together not only closer to one another but also closer to Jesus these two people after they walk along the road with Jesus they then they invite him back for a meal and it says in Luke 24 Whereabouts is it? Um, hmm. Yeah, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now they're having a meal. And it says in verse 31, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And we talked earlier about a meal in Genesis. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, there was a meal when Adam and Eve ate from that tree. And when they ate from the tree, it says when they ate, their eyes were opened and they realized something that they had not previously been aware of. They realized their nakedness and they became ashamed and they covered themselves over and human relationships then became divided and strained and ridden with blame and shame ever since they ate, their eyes were opened, and they realized something they previously hadn't been aware of and Here, after the cross and the resurrection, Jesus sits at a meal with these two disciples, and they eat and verse thirty one their eyes were opened, and they realized something they hadn't previously been aware of. Jesus himself was at the table with them. And then he disappeared from their sight. He is bringing restoration to human relationships. These guys then, they're just lit, and they go back and share with the others what they have seen and what they have heard. That is the beauty of spiritual friendship, where people together encounter the presence of Jesus. And I think for the next few months, we should be prioritizing this We should be focusing on it. We should be proactive about it, not sitting around at home waiting for somebody else to text and invite us over, but to make those calls and to send those texts and to start to populate those gardens and to start to look into each other's eyes without a wretched screen in between and actually tell each other's stories, listen to each other's hearts, And love each other the way Jesus loved the disciples. As I have loved you, you love another. You love one another. I have called you friends. I have made known to you what the Father has made known to me. I've shared my heart with you. This should be, I think, our priority. This, and I know this message has been sort of disjointed and a bit higgledy-piggledy, but... I do believe God is saying this is something that is important right now at this moment, June 2020, and for the next few months, this is important. I have thought, and, and not only important for us, just in case I, f- I forget to mention this, this is important for our children. And and I've been thinking in the last couple of days that it is important now <clears throat> that our children, if possible, and if they're appropriate age to, to understand the social distancing thing, To start having their friends over in their gardens, you know, it's it's great the thought of them having their mates over and they're not allowed in the house. (laughs) They can't make a mess, they can't wreck the place, just go out into the garden. But I I, I felt just as I was praying and thinking a couple of days ago, it's time to make a priority of that. And not just to sort of think that it's only adult friendships that are important and nourished, but it's their friendships as well. And I'll be held to that now that I've said it, because one of the, one of the amazing things about having kids is uh, if you say something to them, they will never forget it, okay? And I will be hounded all afternoon about texting other parents and getting their friends over at some stage. We will do it. But it's important. It's not just, it's not just for me. It's not just for Linda. It's not just for the grown-ups. It's important that we encourage friendship among our children as well and i've heard it said a lot in recent days and i've said it myself that we can't wait to be together back in this room and singing together and eating together having breakfast and coffee together i absolutely cannot wait for that i'm so so looking forward to that but as i reflected this morning i almost felt you know as if the spirit was prompting me to think if we went straight from now from here to there we would miss something and, and a window now has been created. I, I wonder is, is is God saying to us, I don't want you in the large gathering yet. This restriction on numbers, I can use this restriction on numbers to help you to develop community. Because if you come back into the large gathering, again those relationships might not go deeper. But if you gather in the small numbers, in the small groups, you will cultivate something deep, and you might come back into the large gathering in in whenever, several months' time, who knows, with deeper friendships, deeper relationships, deeper levels of trust. You might cultivate something in your back garden with five or six people that you can then invite another four or five people into who have no connection with church, and you can bring them into that community of spiritual friendship around the presence of God. And let them feel love. And let them tell their stories. So church, make it a priority. I, I ask you, we're not going to micromanage this and we're not going to put you in groups and all that caper. But we want you to be proactive about being together. I mentioned it last week, I mentioned it again, we don't know what will happen over the winter When the weather is cold and foul again, we don't know yet if we will be allowed to gather indoors or not, and we must take the opportunity to deepen our spiritual friendships. I think spiritual friendship is actually a spiritual discipline. It is so important that we do this and that we share our lives intimately with one another in an atmosphere of love and trust. And I would encourage you to do it. I believe the church will grow because of it. Bless you. Thanks so much for listening. Um, Stefan's going to pray for us just as we finish off.